Father, we thank you for uh, gatherings together to worship and to hear from you, Lord, as uh, we are instructed today from your word. Pray, God, that you would speak to us powerfully by your spirit, that you would open up your truth to us so that we might understand it better, Uh, that you would help us to know and discern your will for our lives from this passage here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we continue our um, sermon series on the family history of the church. And we've entitled this sermon series, Ancestry.div, that is Ancestry.divine. And this is the third installment in uh, a sermon series where we are going back and looking at our family history, the church's family history from the very beginning of the pages of Scripture. We're looking at everything from Genesis to Revelation about who we are, uh, how we got here, what our purpose is, and where we're going. Uh, And if you were here the first week, we looked at uh, the love that God the Father had from us way back in eternity past where he determined to send his son to die for our sins before we were ever even born or before he ever, uh, before we ever even sinned against him. And then last week, we looked at the creation of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and the work that God had given them to do, which is the same work that he still calls us to today. And today, we continue that story by looking at the first marriage, the marriage of Adam and Eve in the scriptures. And here in this text, we are given a pattern to show us uh, what marriage is and what marriage is supposed to be or what marriage's purpose is in the world. Now, this message is relevant to everybody, whether you're married or not. If you're a kid, a little child, and you're not married yet, one day you will be married. And so, This text pertains to you. Um, If you are single um, and you are not married yet, you as well may one day be married. And even if you are not, even if you never marry, the text still pertains to you because you've been called to labor alongside God's bride, bride uh, the bride of Christ, the church, in this work. And so it's still relevant to you. And if you're married, of course, it pertains to you because you're married. So, um, message is relevant for everybody, and again, we want to look at marriage today. We want to look at what marriage is and what the purpose of marriage is in the world. And we start in verse 18, and we will look at verses 18 through 20. You can look back there with me, and we'll read it. Uh, Verse 18 reads, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So what we are looking at here in in these verses is a recounting 
of what took place during the six days of creation with a little bit more detail given. It's as if we're zooming in on what took place during those six days, and uh, we see that Adam, or that the animals were created first, and they were taken out of the ground, they came out of the ground, and then Adam was taken out of the ground and created, and then all those animals that were taken out of the ground are brought to Adam, and Adam gives names to each one of the animals. But in all of Adam's naming, he does not find another creature like himself. That is, he does not find another man. And God had given a purpose and a task to all of the animals, and they all had a helper to help them along in this purpose and task. And God had given Adam the greatest purpose and the greatest task in the world to perform, but he did not have a helper. So Adam needed a helper too, and therefore the Lord God creates Eve. Now it was not possible for Adam to do what God had called him to do all by himself. So therefore the Lord gave him a woman. Eve is created to be Adam's helper. Um, She's not merely created just to keep Adam company because Adam's lonely, but she's created for more than that. She's created to be Adam's helper. Now, this word helper in the scripture is often used to um, refer to somebody who comes along to help during times of inadequacy, Um, and many times it refers to the Lord coming alongside uh, to help in times of need. And so here Eve is to come to the aid of Adam to help him in the work that God had called him to do. And what did uh, God call Adam and Eve to do? in the world. We talked about this last week. There were three things, multiplying, subduing, and taking dominion. So Eve was to be Adam's helper in fulfilling this calling. Uh, She was to be uh, Adam's helper in all things pertaining to multiplying. (laughs) And why is this? Because Adam can't multiply by himself. And so God gives Adam Eve so that they can multiply and propagate the image of God throughout the world, and it would spread. Uh, She's to be Adam's helper in all things vocational. That is, she is to work along Adam's side in the garden, and as they go out into the world, cultivating the earth, transforming it, and bringing it from one degree of glory to another. And finally, she's to be his liturgical helper. We talked about this last week. Adam and Eve had been given a priestly task, and so she's to come alongside Adam and help him and this work of extending God's garden sanctuary into the world. Therefore, Eve is brought in to be an equal partner with Adam. She is to be an equal partner with Adam in this work that God had given the human race to do. Now, there are some ways in which the roles of Adam and Eve are separate and distinct, but in this task that God had given them to do in fulfilling this cultural mandate, they're given the same task. They're both um, called to fulfill the cultural mandate together. Uh, They're both created in the image of God. They both have equal value, dignity, and worth. And this equality is emphasized by the fact that the woman is created from the very flesh and bone of Adam Uh, The text says that she was taken from his rib, but this would include some of his flesh as well. 
Accordingly, God would have everything that he needed to make the woman flesh and bone. And we know that she's created from the flesh and bone of Adam because he tells us, he says, this is now very flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. So God does not reach down and create the woman from dirt like he did Adam. He takes her from the side of Adam as if to say, she's just like you. Look, I I made her out of a piece of you. This phrase, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, in the scripture is used to refer to family relations. It's uh, To say someone is flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone is to say that they're part of your family. They're one of your family members. And and Adam and Eve are part of the same family. They're part of the human race. Um, They are the first, they're the beginning of the human race and they are the first family. Now, She's made from the side of Adam. (laughs) And I think that's to express the intimacy of the relationship that he would share with this woman. Matthew Henry said it best. Uh, He says this, quote, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam. Listen to this. Not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. To be by the side of a man is to be closest to him. To be under his arm like this is to be in the most intimate place. It's the place where the wife of a man rests. Uh, She's the one with whom he shares everything. Um, The one who is his equal partner in all things the only person with whom it can be said that he is one, outside of his relationship with God, of course. But one more thing to note uh, about this passage is that Adam calls her woman. Why does he do this? Why does he call her woman? Perhaps it's because uh, after God created her and brought her to Adam, he was like, whoa, man. So he decided to call her a woman when he first seen her. Uh, I think it's more than that. Uh, he calls her Ish, uh, uh, Isha, I'm sorry. In the Hebrew, the word for man is Ish, and he calls her Isha. So he says, she shall be called Isha because she was taken from Ish. Do you hear the connection that Adam's making there? He's saying, she's just like me. She's similar to me. She's an extension of me. She's a part of me. But at the same time, she's different. She is a female. She is woman. She is Isha because she was taken from Ish. Um, Apparently, God could look at Eve and tell that she was a woman. Or Adam could, did I say? Adam could look at her and tell that she was a woman. He knew the difference between a man and a woman. There was something different about her. God had created her equal with Adam and similar to Adam, but yet she was unique from Adam. She would be his helper. She would fill up uh, his lack. She would be able to do the things that he couldn't do all by himself. In other words, uh, she she would compliment him. You hear this said a lot of times the woman compliments the man. And this is to say that she would complete the man. She would be the other half that made him whole. 
uh, she would be the other vessel used in the completion of God's work. So similar, but different. Right? Um, now this is a distinction that our culture has become confused about as of lately. Uh, the radical feminists of our day want to say that a man and a woman being equal means that a man can be a woman and that a woman can be a man. But this is not the case. Um, saying that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man is absurd in the economy of God, which is the, con- the economy in which we are living. Um, it was not this way from the beginning, and it never can be because God created two sexes. He created them male and female. And the only thing that makes us believe uh, that a man could be a woman or a woman could be a man is, a, is in, in every, or that men and women are exactly the same in every way is our sin. Uh, when, when we begin to fuse, confuse our gender, it is because we have lost who we are as a people. It's because we are, be- we are beginning to rebel against the way things just are in the world. And our sin drives us to do this. Our sin drives us to identify ourselves uh, differently. Uh, it, it drives us to try to find a different reality for our experience. And why do, why do we do this? Well, because we're running from God. We want to run away from who we are, and that is men and women created in the image of God, and we want to run away from Him, our Creator. And so, this is what we do in our rebellion. We try to re- redefine everything. You hear a lot of new definitions today uh, in our world. Uh, we try to hide from who we are, but we cannot hide because our sin will always find us out. Um, we will make no progress in the world as long as we are at war with the world in the way that God created it. And we will make no progress in ourselves as long as we are at war with ourselves. This is one of the most fundamental things about who we are. We're men and women. We're male and female. And with you, when you start messing around with the way that God created the world, you're going to find yourself in a world of trouble. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, you, you cannot rebel against who we are, what we are, and what we were created to do without great detriment to ourselves. It just cannot be done. Eve is created to be Adam's equal partner. His equal partner in this work of multiplying, subduing, and taking dominion over the earth. Adam couldn't do it by himself. He needed a woman to help him in this task. And until we get that straight, we won't move forward. Men must be men, and women must be women, and we must work together in this original mandate, this task that God has called us to, together. Now, the way that God intended for this work that he called the man and the woman to do to come to its greatest expression, to come to its greatest fulfillment in the world is through the institution of marriage. Marriage is the institution that God has decided to bless in order to fulfill this mandate in the world. It's, the, um, it's one of the most fundamental parts of our creation, marriage, and gender. And if we get it wrong, again, when it comes to marriage, we'll make zero progress in the world. One fulfilling this original mandate that God gave to our original parents, 
which is the work that we are supposed to be doing in the world. So in verses 21 through 25, if you look there, we see something else. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So above, we see that God took a rib and that he fashioned the woman out of it, and then he brought her to the man. He brings Eve to Adam. And Adam responds with this poetic and beautiful acclamation, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's as if Adam is saying amen to what God had done. Uh, What we are witnessing here is the first marriage. And so you could say that in this first wedding, it's as if God the Father walks his daughter Eve down the aisle to Adam, and when he hands her over to Adam to marry, Adam says, Amen. And with this, the two are wedded one to another in the sight of God. And then God responds with this evaluation of what he has just witnessed. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This statement is not something that Adam said. It might have been recorded early on by Adam, but then later written down by Moses. Um, But this is God's evaluation, essentially, of what has just taken place. So what we have in verses 18 through 24 is a record of the first marriage followed by God's divine evaluation of what has just happened. Um, God is basically pronouncing this marriage good when he looks at it. This is good. Remember what we said last week about God and how he works in the world. He lays hold of his creation. He reformulates it. He determines whether it's good, and then he hands it back over to us in order to enjoy. And this is exactly what God has done here. This is an institution created and ordained by God, given his seal of approval, and turned back over to us to enjoy as we labor together in the world for his glory. This is the pattern for marriage uh, that God began in the world, and we are to follow after it. It's the only way it works. This is the only Um, legitimate form of marriage. So what can we learn from this statement? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Well, a lot, really, but we're going to focus on just four things. And first, and I can't believe I have to say this, But in the day in which we are living, it has to be said, marriage is between a man and a woman. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So marriage, the, the, the marriage relationship constitutes a man and a woman 
leave their father and mother and are cleaving together for life. It's not a man and a man or a woman and a woman, but it is a man and a woman. All of these other aberrations of marriage that we see out in the world today, men with men and women with women, are not marriage. You can um, call them whatever you want, just, just don't call them marriage. Um, say, asking why you can't call a man, a man marrying another man marriage is like asking why water is wet. Do you get that? It's in the definition itself. Marriage is made up of a man and a woman who are cleaving together for life. Doug Wilson has begun to call this um, thing that we see in our culture today same-sex mirage. You know what a mirage is, right? It's like an illusion that you see up there on the road when it's hot, like water or something, and as you get closer, it disappears, right? And it's the same thing. You may look at a same-sex wedding, and it may look like a marriage from a distance, but as you get closer and you see two men or two women getting married, you realize it's not a marriage. It's a mirage. So I think that's a good way to explain it. Um, So, that's point number one. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Part two is that marriage is the creation of a new family. When a man or a woman gets married, they leave their father and mother and are joined to their wife. They hold fast to their wife. This is to say that the relationship of which they have been most intimately apart from birth is now changed. They are becoming, uh, or the family rather, that family is changing. They are becoming a part of another family. And to leave is a strong word. It actually means to forsake, but uh, this doesn't mean that you forsake the responsibilities that you have to your family members, to your uh, mother and father or to your other siblings, but it just simply means that uh, the new family of which you have become a part is most central. You actually belong to another family now, and it is to that family and to that relationship that you have the greatest obligation, which leads us to our third point, which is you are to hold fast to your spouse. So marriages between a man and a woman say a man or a woman leaving their family to be joined to another or to hold fast to another. And to hold fast is to stick to them, to cling to them, to hang on to them, and to never let go. Marriage is not something that you just sort of enter into willy-nilly. Marriage is not something that you... Uh, just enter in and out of marriages for life. And therefore, you should enter into marriage with eyes wide open. Uh, now, the New Testament gives us a couple of examples for which the marriage covenant can be bro- broken, uh, namely adultery, desertion, or death. Um, but in any other case, this thing is for life. And so we should take it very Seriously, marriage is not something that you enter in and out of. It's a lifelong commitment to one person and one person only forever. This is to say that it's to be a monogamous relationship 
There's no immorality permitted in marriage. It's a commitment to lifelong fidelity. It's just you and that other person that God gives to you exclusively. It's not you and that person and other people, just you and them. Um, That is the only person that you're to share marital intimacy with. Which, from that principle, we can learn that any relationship, any um, sexual relation outside the marriage of a man or a woman is immoral and condemned in the very first pages of Scripture since this type of intimacy is only to be had in the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife. So any sexual relationship outside of that is immoral. Finally, fourth, so it's between a man and a woman, you're leaving your old family to cleave to another, to cleave or to hold fast. It's, it's forever. And finally, fourth, the two become joined one to another in an indissoluble union, which is one flesh. Become, the two become one flesh. Uh, now, this one flesh is most visibly manifested in the fruit of that, of that union. Um, for instance, uh, Shiloh and Judah are the most visible manifestation of the one flesh relationship between me and my wife. Emily and I are both in Shiloh and Judah. You can see that visibly in them. But marriage is, is, um, excuse me, uh, one flesh is more than that. One flesh is not just a physical union, um, but it is a spiritual union. Um, This is to say that in marriage, our souls are knit together in such a way that we no longer constitute two persons anymore, but rather one. And we are to walk together as one, united in decision, one in purpose, one in goal, because we are now one unit working together towards one end, which is the fulfillment of the cultural mandate. So in summary, marriage is this. Marriage is an institution ordained by God, which includes one man and one woman who are joined together for life, in the sight of God and other witnesses for the purpose of fulfilling the dominion mandate. Marriage is an institution ordained by God between a man and a woman who cleave together for life in the sight of God and other witnesses for the purpose of fulfilling the dominion mandate. That is what marriage is, and that is its purpose. Now, before we finish, um, there's... One more piece that we need to add to this puzzle. And marriage is everything that we have said that it is um, so far, but it is more than that. Marriage is more than that. Marriage is a visible expression of the gospel. It is a picture of the wedding of Christ and the church. Paul quotes this verse that we've been talking about in Ephesians, uh, the, the verse we've been talking about, he quotes in Ephesians 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says this, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. Paul, do you mean to tell us that marriage is about Christ? Well, yes. Yes, it is, says Paul. How so? Well, let's think about this for a minute. Let's think about that first marriage. 
Adam is put into a deep, deep, death-like sleep when the woman is taken out of his side. Right? Adam's not just in some normal sleep, is he? If God reached in and took a rib from Adam's side and he was just sleeping, that wouldn't have gone over too well, right? <laughs> so he is in a deep, deep, death-like sleep. This is the kind of sleep that we see throughout Scripture that... Uh, the words used to express when men go into visions and into dreams, and it's as if they're transported into another world and they don't know what's going on here. And it's interesting, if you look at the word death throughout Scripture, it's used as a uh, or sleep, uh, it's used as a euphemism for death. That is to say, it's a nice way to talk about death. <laughs> when we say somebody is sleeping in the Scripture, that means that they are dead. And I would posit that this is the same kind of sleep that Christ slept when he was on the cross, sleeping the sleep of death, dying the death of all deaths. And what did that soldier do to the side of Christ while he slept on the cross after he died? He pierced his side, right? Just as Adam pierced the side of Adam. And coming out of his side was what? Water and blood. And water and blood represent life and death in Scripture. It's everything that makes up the church. It is the death and the life of Christ that makes up the church. And who is it that is waiting for Christ when He comes out of the tomb? Mary and some of the other women. The bride of Christ. Brought to Christ when He comes out of the tomb. So God puts Jesus into death. And from his side, he takes the church. And when he awakes, the church is brought to Christ, and she has been being brought to him ever since. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. When men love their wives sacrificially, dying to themselves each and every day so that their wives might live more, The gospel is depicted and Christ is glorified. And when wives lovingly, willingly submit to their husbands in the fear of the Lord as the church submits to Christ, the gospel is exalted and Christ is glorified. Marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church, friends. And the only way that anyone will ever experience the fullness of the blessing that marriage has to offer is if Christ is working in that marriage by His Spirit to make much of Himself. And the only way that anyone will ever experience the fullness of the blessing that marriage has to offer is if we are living as Christ has intended us to do so within our marriages. And that is allowing our marriages to become living, breathing parables of the gospel, that is, filling, multiplying, subduing, and seeking to show forth Christ in all that we do. Amen. Let's pray.